welcome back. Let's Get Physical Therapy is an educational podcast brought to you by MedStar Health and hosted by me, physical therapist Becca Schumer. I will be sharing the mic with tons of healthcare professionals with the goal of educating and inspiring fellow PTs and future PTs. We hope you find this both informative and inspirational, ultimately optimizing how we treat our patients and grow as professionals. Please enjoy today's episode. Happy Friday, podcast world. I know this is sort of random. We don't usually drop episodes on Fridays, but special accomplishments call for special episodes. And really, are there any rules to dropping more podcasts? I don't think so. I'm happy to bring back Dr. Wimi Duwogi, who we featured in episode 13 on Tommy John surgery. But you know what? We're going to switch gears and take it down to the knee today to talk about ACL repair surgery. He recently had an article accepted into the Journal of Arthroscopic and Related Surgery, the first level to evidence published in the U.S. of its kind. We're going to learn about what he's gleaned over the many years of performing ACL repairs and where we go from here. Please enjoy. Hello, Dr. DeWilge. Welcome back. How's it going? Good to be back. Thanks for inviting me. Of course. I'm doing well. You know, we did this whole series on ACL surgeries and I didn't get you on. So I'm excited to host you today to hear about ACL repairs. Well, I appreciate it. And actually, it's kind of timely um, because we just had our article published in Arthroscopy. It's it's in press right now. Um, It should be out shortly. Comparing uh, suture augmented ACL repair to conventional ACL reconstruction, something I've been working on for a long time. Yeah. So can you give us sort of like a background on how you got into doing ACL repairs? What's like your history in that? How long you've been doing it? Well, it's interesting, Rebecca. I was reading a book called Range, a New York Times bestseller by David Epstein. In the book, he talks about um, an innovator, Gunpei Yokoi, who uh, worked for Nintendo. And in the 90s, um, there were all kinds of innovation going on. People trying out new technologies and things that were coming in and then disappearing. And Gunpei Yokoi developed the Game Boy, which became the most popular gaming device in the world. But if you look at it, it was an LED device. It was super low tech, but it was small. You could fit it in your pocket and people became addicted to it. And so David Epstein coined the term lateral thinking. And what Gunpei did was he was like, forget all this new technology. You know, a lot of times people had this idea and it didn't quite fit a project and it got discarded. He took all this technology that was discarded into a scrap heap. And he said, I'm going to use this. This is, you know, people were missing maybe by a little bit here and there. And, and, and he brought it all together and he created the Game Boy. And this concept of lateral thinking is where you take these things that have been thrown away that people said, ah, this is no good. It's mass produced. It's cheap. The patent's probably up. Um, and so he, for a very cheap price, was able to produce this device that put Nintendo on the map. And so the reason I bring this up is because I didn't know anything about lateral thinking until I read the book a year ago. Um, but I realized in my practice, Uh, And my research interests have really been about things in orthopedics that have been thrown on the scrap heap that maybe we just needed to tweak to get better uh, in order for them to work. And maybe they weren't so bad after all. And ACL repair is one of them. Um, I remember I was at a conference in 2012 and a gentleman by the name of Gordon Mackay, Scottish guy, gets up on the podium with some horn rim glasses and a polka dot tie and a kilt and he says i'm doing acl repair and everyone just kind of looked at each other like are you kidding me like who is this guy like nobody does acl repair and he's talking about his experience he's got like 20 patients so anyway the next year um he comes back 
and he he's done 50 patients. Um, and, and I'm listening to him in the background at the time. I was also taking care of our professional baseball team here in DC. And we had a, a player who went down and tore his ACL. Um, and, you know, I said, well, we're going to do a reconstruction. We're going to use patellar tendon to reconstruct your knee and you should be back in eight months, ready to play. He said, well, that's great, Poppy, but, uh, you know, I love you. Uh, my agent wants me to talk to Dick Stedman. So goes to see Dick Stedman and Dick calls me and he says, you know, I'm doing this um, thing with the ACL where I poke some holes in the bone to stimulate a healing response. I lay the ligament back down and I let it heal and people do fine. And I just, I paused. I didn't have anything to say. I was like, I can't believe I'm hearing this. Like nobody does that. I mean, not only are you saying you don't reconstruct it, but you don't even repair it. You just lay it down. That doesn't make sense. And so I kind of bit my tongue. I said, thank you very much, sir. Um, obviously Dr. Stedman, um, you know, rest in peace, uh, really an innovator and a, a very famous orthopedic surgeon, sports medicine doc, one of the godfathers of sports medicine. I immediately called Jim Andrews as a mentor and friend. And I said, Jimmy, you know, what, what should I do here? And he goes, well, you know, you can't really force the guy to have the surgery you want. You got to let him do it, but make sure to tell your GM to get a new catcher next year. <laughs> and so, so we did. Uh, and, um, you know, I remember, um, we got, he came back to spring training and I was convinced there was no way he was going to be able to, to play. Uh, his knee was not going to be normal. And I examined him and he had a negative Lachman exam. He had a normal stable knee. It's a test we use to determine whether the patient has a, an ACL had a negative pivot shift. And I remember quietly sort of really trying to go hard and maybe, you know, maybe there's scar tissue. I was breaking up, but nothing. It was stable. He played for four more years. So I've got that in the background of my head. Um, and then Gordon Mackay pops up and everyone else is saying, no, nah, you can't, can't do this. ACL repair. No, no, no. There's this little kernel here saying, you know what? Maybe I need to listen to this guy. So he comes back the third year, 2014, and he's got 150 patients. He's got a couple of Premier League soccer players, the Scottish Premier League that he's fixed. And I invited him to DC and he came to DC and he has all these videos. They don't have HIPAA there the same way we do. He's showing me all these testimonials. Um, and it was just incredible. I was like, this really sounds like it could work. Um, and what he was doing was he was suturing the native ligament down and then augmenting it with a piece of Kevlar tape. And, you know, we kind of joked that this is the Stedman plus, and it just seemed like it made sense. So I bit the bullet. Um, and I said, you know, ACL is not experiment repair is not experimental. I mean, it's been done. It was the first surgery we had for the ACL. So it's not like we need to necessarily study this. It's, it seems to have worked in, in a relatively large number in, in this uh, gentleman's practice. And so I said, well, when I get the right patient, I'm, I'm going to try it out. And sure enough, 2014, um, I had a gentleman who was a yoga instructor. He came in, tore his ACL playing, I think, um, ultimate Frisbee. And he couldn't teach yoga class. He couldn't get into positions. His knee would give out. And I, I was like, well, we can do an ACL reconstruction. I was like, no. He's like, doc, I can't be out for four months. Like I've got to be able to go now. Like I've got to, you know, maybe a month, maybe two, I can't be out for four months. I'll lose my job. So I said, you know what? I got this new thing I'm doing. And I explained it to him. We sat down for about 45 minutes. We talked about it. I said, I don't have any data. It's my first one, but if you want to do it, you know, here, here's the deal. And it doesn't burn a bridge. If we, if it doesn't work, I could always go back and do a reconstruction. Um, but let's see. And he's like, absolutely. He's like, I want to try it. So we did the surgery. Um, he comes back 
you know, four months later and I'm like, you know, I think it's time for you to go back. And I don't know if you have a dog, but you know, if you ever have that dog and you come in, in the house and he's in his cage and he's plastered up in the back of the cage and you're looking for that steak that you left on the, on the, on the counter and you know, he just ate that steak and he's, and he had that same look, uh, of like that dog that's like, uh Oh, I did something wrong. And I said, what's going on? He says, doc, I've been teaching yoga since two weeks out from my, my surgery. And my first instinct, I was pissed. I was like, you gotta be kidding. That's crazy. And then I'm like, wait a minute. What did you say to like, and so I'm examining his knee. It's stable. He's been doing this yoga instruction where he's got to get in these deep poses. And it, from two weeks out, he was comfortable doing it. And I just thought to myself, you'd never be able to do that with an ACL reconstruction. You'd just never be able to do it. Um, and, and so I started to think about this and I watched him over time and we followed him out. And as I'm following out, I started to encounter other people. I had another young lady that came in who was a track athlete and a soccer player. She had all these division one scholarship offers for both sports. Um, and she had hurt her knee and playing soccer and she needed an ACL. And Penn Relays was in four months after she got injured, all those scholarship offers went away. And she's like, doc, I need to compete in Penn Relays. So I have a chance of getting a scholarship. My parents can't afford college. Um, what can you do for me? I said, well, if I do a reconstruction, you're not going to be running in Penn Relays. It's just not possible. Um, I said, but I've got this thing that I'm doing now. And, uh, so we talked about it, talked with her parents. We kind of went through it. Doesn't burn a bridge. Same talk I had with the yoga instructor. And, um, she said, well, let's do it. So four months comes along, her knee's stable. Uh, she's got good quad tone. And I said, all right, let's go. So she ran, uh, she ran hurdles. Um, she PR'd at four months post-operatively, got a full four-year scholarship, um, University of Maryland College, uh, uh, Eastern Shore, University of Maryland Eastern Shore to, to run. And she competed all four years. Uh, with this ACL repair with an internal brace. He felt normal, occasional swelling, occasional stiffness, but she, she did, she did great. Um, and you know, as this kind of went along, I, I had, had this, uh, sort of body work that was growing. And in, in 2020, I reported on my first, um, 27 patients that I had done with minimum two year follow-up. Um, and at that time there were a lot of other case series. There was a, a doctor by the name of uh, Greg DeFelice who uh, become friends with and was doing a lot of work in parallel with me. And he's like, Hey, I want you to, you know, join my group and, uh, and let's put these patients, let's put these patients together and let's do some case series. And I said, you know, you're doing some great work. You're putting together this, your case series. I'd like to really do a rigorous study because we're getting a lot of criticism about this and the, the, the papers that are coming out, people saying, Oh, they're retrospective. Oh, you don't have a comparison group. And so we embarked on a project to create a, um, non-randomized prospective comparison between ACL reconstruction and repair. Um, the Panther symposium is a big ACL symposium that takes place in you know, at university of Pittsburgh and they bring all the world's experts on ACL reconstruction together and come up with guidelines for how to do quality research. Uh, because as we found out over the last decade, you know, it's not a perfect surgery doing a conventional ACL reconstruction. There's arthritis, there's significant recurrence rates in young athletes. And so, you know, we need to get better. So anyway, this group uh, came together with guidelines on how to do quality research. And so we followed the Panther Symposium guidelines and put together a, um, a prospective comparison between ACL repair and reconstruction. 
Um, and what we found was that there was a 10% failure rate in the um, repair group and no failures in the reconstruction group. Um, the repair group had um, better early functional outcomes. So at three and six months, we used uh, validated uh, patient reported outcome scores and found that at three and six months, these folks were ready for higher level function at an earlier stage in their re recovery. And so, you know, what, what I think of when I think of that is that, you know, you need time for biologic healing of the, of the ligament back to the bone. Um, but if you can do these things earlier, maybe you can return early. Um, and so really interesting stuff. Um, we also did side-to-side -side measurements using a KT-1000 arthrometer, which is a device that's used to tell how much excursion there is of the tibia or the shin bone relative to the femur or the thigh bone. It, it's, it's an objective measure of how stable the knee is. And what we found was that there was no clinically significant differences um, within subjects or between cohorts uh, in terms of arthrometry me measurements. Um, and so really encouraging stuff about ACL repair. Um, you have to pick the right patient. And I would estimate that probably about 15% of the patients that come in with significant ACL injuries are going to be candidates. Uh, it's not for everybody. Um, if you've torn the ligament within the substance of the ligament, that, that they are not candidates in, with my technique. Um, it, it has to be an avulsion off of the bone, and that's about 20% of patients. And then there's probably another 5% of those patients, the quality of the ligament tissue is poor um, and won't support a repair. So I, I, I would tell you that in, in my practice, it's been about 15%. Um, the other thing is that there, we've seen a higher rate of failure in younger patients with ACL repair. So patients under the age of 25 seem to have a higher rate of failure than patients over the age of 25. And so I'm, I'm very cautious. So even if there's a good candidate, I really discuss this with patients. And sometimes they're like, you know, doc, that's a great surgery you're doing, but let's just go with the gold standard conventional ACL reconstruction. And so I, I have a low threshold for not doing the repair in some of these younger patients who are high level athletes who are maybe division one scholarship players, professional athletes. Um, now that being said, I've got professional collision athletes that I've done this on. I have firemen, I have policemen, people who depend on their knee for their own livelihood that we've done this on that are back, uh, fully active and happy with their knees. So, so it's not an absolute no. Um, it's just, there has to be informed, true informed consent. Um, and you know, and that's really my story. I mean, it's, it's, it's been an exciting journey. Um, you know, I, it's really exciting to kind of find the nuance in what we do. Um, and when there's a technique, you know, figuring out where it fits, um, and where others fit better. Um, I think what we're finding is with, with all the data that's available to us now, um, we are going to have really a patient, um, specific approach to how we deal with a lot of these problems. Um, and ACL is one of those, one of those categories. So. You answered pretty much <laughs> all the questions that I'd written down, which is awesome. <laughs> I do have a question, though. So there was a 10% failure rate in the suture augmented repairs. Can you tell me how those three retort it? Like how far post-op were they? Was it something athletic that they were doing? Was it just a freak accident and, and there it went? They were all with athletics. Um, two of them were uh, elite soccer players uh, under the age of 20. Uh, female soccer players and they got back to playing one tour at the first day back uh, she was she, day back to competition she had been training and practicing and everything felt fine and she she, she retour um 
they were, the other one was also a year out, uh, had been playing for a couple of months and retoured with a pivoting, twisting injury. Uh, the third one was a uh, 32-year-old uh, rec- competitive recreational soccer player um, who tore about a year, year and a half out. Uh, again, had gotten back to playing, was playing fine, and then and then re-injured it. Um, so those were the three of the 30 patients that, that uh, re-injured. That's so devastating when you have an athlete and they pass all the the things and they they look good, they look strong, they've been practicing, and then bam, first game back. I've had that happen a few times. You're like, you look back and wonder if there's anything you could have done differently, but accidents happen. It's awful. And, you know, I tell you, early on in this process, you know, I had a couple of really good results, the two people that I told you about earlier in the story. And I, I feel like I, I, I won't say that I got cavalier, but I got a little complacent and I thought, Hey, you know, we can push the envelope. We can push the boundaries of what we do. And I probably was doing about 30%, you know, uh, of, of patients. And then I found that some of the failures, and this wasn't in the 30, 30 group, cause I've probably done about 250 plus repairs in total. And I found that some of these folks that, that, uh, had failed, I probably shouldn't have done in retrospect, or maybe, you know, and, and you learn, you learn about who the right uh, people are. Um, you know, when you're pioneering something, you don't have anybody to tell you, you know, where to stop. And some of these things are judgment calls and it's not hard uh, indications or contraindications. And so I learned, um, you know, to be more conservative and particularly in these young athletic patients, you know, if there was any hesitancy, if that tissue quality wasn't perfect, if it was, um, you know, maybe not a true avulsion, maybe there was a little more tissue left behind on the femur than I liked. I just said, you know what? It's not worth it. We're going to do the surgery that works. It's been shown over time that to be tried and true for the most part and uh, and go from there. So you said early on in, in your study that the suture augmented group, they had better subjective outcomes ready or outcome measures. And is that related to the fact that they can rehab a little quicker? There's no graft being taken from another site, donor site, et cetera. Is that is that part of why it makes it quicker and why patients are probably a little happier earlier on? Well, there, there's two issues, Rebecca. One is that you're not taking the graft. There is there is morbidity to taking the graft, uh, whether you take a patellar tendon, even even the hamstring, which is thought to be less morbid. It's still soreness. It's still uh, something that there's a deficit there uh, as a result of taking that graft. The other issue that that sort of gets glossed over and that we're understanding is the proprioceptive loss. When that that ligament, we used to think of just as a, a rope, a musculoskeletal structure, but it's also a neurophysiologic structure. It's richly innervated with bacinian corpuscles and with phenine fibers. All of those that when you mechanically deform the ACL, they send a message to the brain and tell you to fire your quad and tell you to fire your hamstring and tell you to fire your glutes in a coordinated fashion so that you create dynamic stability of the knee in addition to static stability that's created by the ligament. And when you actually isolate the ACL, it's actually a very weak structure. And so you really need to, to protect it. It's like the quarterback being protected by the line. You, you, know, you, you know, if you don't have a good line, it doesn't matter. Tom Brady's not going to get the pass off if he doesn't have a good line. And it's the same thing with the ACL. Um, so I think, you know, understanding the other, the other analogy that I give is the GPS system. You know, when you tear your ACL and then you put in a dead tendon, um, the GPS shuts off. It's like when you make a wrong turn, your GPS shuts off. You have to recalibrate. And then when you're done, you come up with a new map. It's the same thing that happens with the athlete that tears their ACL. Um, you, t- you tear it, you put in that tendon. It takes 18 to 24 months before your brain cortically remaps a new course for how to do it. 
And all the data shows us is that people go back to play at nine to 12 months, but they don't reach their pre-injury levels of performance until 18 to 24 months after surgery. And, and so it's, it, I think what we're finding is that when you reattach that ligament, you're preserving that, those neural structures. I've seen less atrophy of the quad in patients that we do ACL repair and we do reconstruction across the board. And I've, listen, I've talked to therapists, elite therapists. They're like, oh no, they're just, they're not seeing the right therapist. They're not doing this or doing that. Listen, I, I'm telling you, it's, it's the truth. You've got this neurofiber network that is contributing to it. We see it. You know, we haven't proven it. We haven't done studies to show that the brain firing patterns, but I, I believe in time with the technology that's available and it's developing, um, we'll see that the folks that get these ACL repair, these, these uh, anatomy preserving surgeries will have a more uh, normal neurophysiologic uh, uh, function. So you keep calling me Rebecca and I feel like I'm in trouble when you do that. <laughs> Is that what your mom calls you? Becca. All right, Becca. Got it. <laughs> I'm just messing with you. Can we take a, a few steps back for the PTs listening in that don't understand what an ACL repair is, like what is an internal brace? Kind of speak through what exactly you're doing in the operating room. Sure. Um, the ACL repair, we're literally putting stitches into the ligament. And the, the type of tears that we fix are the ones that get a full stop to femur. So a ligament attaches a bone to a bone, and they act as static restraints that prevent excessive motion and provide um, intrinsic uh, static stability. We get dynamic stability from the surrounding muscles. So the muscles contract to further limit excess motion, but you really re require this static stabilizer to be intact in the knee um, in order to, to function athletically. Um, when you tear off the bone and you can lay it back down, those are the candidates for a repair. If you've torn within the substance, um, there's damage and loss of fiber integrity. So you get scar formation in that substance. And so it's less likely to be able to heal back properly and provide normal function. Whereas if you rip it off the bone, the only scar you have is at that interface. And as you're assuming that the rest of the ligament's intact and that the injury has not been propagated through that ligament substance. So you're reattaching relatively normal tissue back down to the bone. Um, the reason for augmentation really stems from some preclinical work, preclinical meaning in animals, uh, by Martha Murray, where she showed that when you repaired the ACL and you didn't augment it, that it tended to fail and was inferior to a reconstruction. But if you augmented it, uh, basically supported it with some structure, it was similar in properties to a reconstruction, maybe even superior in terms of its ability to limit the development of arthritis in it. And so that really got people thinking that, hey, well, okay, maybe the reason repairs failed is that we didn't augment them properly. Now, we have a history of ligament augmentation in the past that was disastrous because the, the, what we were putting in the, in the knee, the PTFE grafts, the Gore-Tex grafts, were highly reactive and caused cartilage destruction, and so we abandoned them. But modern-day suture augmentation is being done with, with um, materials that are much less reactive and inert and have been shown in multiple applications to not create problems and not lead to arthritis. So, you know, again, you know, things develop and evolve this lateral thinking concept of bringing things back that you threw away, but, but maybe tweaking them a little bit 
is really behind a lot of the innovation around ACL surgery. Do we understand why someone might be more likely to tear it mid-substance versus an involution of the femur? Is it like mechanism-wise, is there a difference? Has that been studied? There seems to be. We know that in skiers, there's a higher incidence of tears off of the bone, whereas in field athletes, it tends to be more in the mid-substance. Uh, skiers have two mechanisms of injury. One's a twisting on the ski with the knee near extension, which is more like what you see with a field athlete. Uh, but there's also a mechanism where they hyperflex into a seated position on the ski and push the ACL forward. And so we think that that might be a mechanism that's more likely to produce um, a tear off the bone. Yeah, that makes sense. Is there anything else from your study that you want to share with us or anything else you're interested in researching or learning more about with regards to ACL repair? No, I think, I think, listen, the people that are listening, um, you know, just be careful when you're adopting things, do it conservatively. Um, we really are excited to be able to put out a quality paper, a level two study, a comparative study that kind of helps inform people about the risks and benefits. I think more work needs to be done. We're looking at trying to study these folks longer term, uh, maybe collaborating with um, other ACL repair specialists as this becomes more commonplace um, so that we can take care of patients in a, in a responsible um, an intelligent manner. Sweet. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to share this with us. I know it's important for us to stay up to date on the procedures that exist so we can help educate our patients and find providers like you that are doing these things. So thank you so much. Thanks, Becca. I really appreciate uh, taking the time to talk today. Of course. Dr. Duogi, where can people find you if they want to, if they tear their ACL and they're like, oh, I need to find this Dr. Duogi guy that's doing this repair thing. Yeah, so uh, telephone number is 202-416-2000. Um, that's, that's for our Lafayette Center. Um, you can call. Thank you so, so much. Awesome. Thanks, Becca. I always right. appreciate these. Yep. yep. See you. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Let's Get Physical Therapy Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Instagram at PT. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please give us a five-star rating and leave a review so we can reach more listeners just like you. As always, we appreciate your time and hope you join us for our next episode.